The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Would you look with me now in the book of Ephesians, and we are in chapter 4, and I'm going to read actually uh, Jeff in his... Um, in his prayer for their covenant child, actually read the text for us. But if you'll come back to it, the conclusion of chapters 1 through 3 with this doxology. Now to him, that's Christ, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So today is the um, ninth and uh, almost finishing of our series on our ministry theme of spiritual gifts, how to discover them, develop them, and deploy them in the body of Christ for the cause of Christ. Uh, as each of us are good stewards. We had two years of study on stewardship, and then we've also now looking at the stewardship of our spiritual gifts that each believer has, and we identified four texts. Now, they're not the only texts. There are three other key texts, one in the Old Testament and two more from the teaching of Jesus in the parables, and I'm saving them so that when we're through with this, and on the other side of Holy Week, we go back to Romans. If you want to read ahead. We're in Romans 5. We go back to Romans after after the um, Holy Week services, and then we'll stay in Romans until next fall. And then the next fall, we'll come back to spiritual gift stewardship, and we'll go to those three texts. Two of them are parables, the parable of the minus and the parable of the talents that Jesus gave. And the other one is the account of the building of the tabernacle and how those whom God had gifted were used to build it and how he used them and their talents to accomplish that. So that's what we'll be doing uh, as we move forward. Now we've got four texts, but we've only got two authors. We've got Peter, and we studied what Peter wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, and we had these five framing principles. And then we started into what Paul has written in three texts of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and where we are now, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 for me is not my life verse. I have a life verse, but it is one of the life-changing passages. I think I mentioned to you last week, somebody gave me um, Roy Stedman's book, Body Life, which was his exposition on these in 
1970s, and it changed every so much for me in terms of understanding my calling as a pastor teacher in the body of Christ. This is one of the key texts. So I love this text. I wish we could do much more justice to it than we're able to do, but I do believe we can distill some basic things that will help us in our stewardship of spiritual gifts. But if you take what we've studied and what at this point in those four texts through Peter and Paul, let me give you a statement that puts it together. A spiritual gift, this is the the five framing principles and the ten principles of understanding spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, summed up with this. A spiritual gift is a God design. We don't design it, God does. God delivered. We don't work it up, God brings it. A delivered ministry resource to be used for God's glory in concert with other believers enabling Christ's church to effectively exalt Christ. And you could add two more, a couple more words to that. In word and deed. In word and deed. That our spiritual gifts lead forward in word and in deed. Now, we are in Ephesians. Just a couple of thoughts here. You know, as we jump into this text, and I just kind of walk you through it uh, and uh, distill some things. But let me ask you to think about this. I don't. If you've ever studied leaders, which I have tried to do my entire life just to try to learn from them, at least to the best of my ability, to learn from leaders. And here's something I've noticed about every every effective and great leader that I've ever studied. They do not live their lives serendipity. They live their lives intentionally. And it shows up, they're very predictable. They, You know where they are. And I can start going through a lot of great leaders and try to exemplify this, um, just leader after leader. Uh, they're unbelievable. You don't need to put a GPS tracker on them. You know where they're going to be. They have, they have prioritized what makes them effective and they embrace that and that becomes the foundational rhythms of their life. I could think of my granddaddy who I just, I miss so much, my, my father's father. And, uh, he was very pretty at 5.30 every morning. He was up praying. I know he prayed for me. Uh, God used him to pray me in the kingdom. 5.30 every morning, he and my grandmother would get together, and uh, they would pray together at 5.30 every morning. And at 6 o'clock, he got his Kellogg's uh, cornflakes and his uh, milk. And he would, uh, no skim milk. He said, he said, I want milk, milk. That's what you get, milk. And uh, so he'd get his milk, and he'd get his bowl out. And I would be trying to sleep. I would be visiting with them for the summer and I'd be trying to sleep. But I knew I knew what was happening at six o'clock because he was the loudest cereal eater that ever existed in the world. He would eat the Kellogg's and every time he reached in for another spoonful, he would hit the side of that uh, of that of that bowl. And I would just say, please quit hitting that bowl. I'm trying to sleep. But I'd be up by 610 because he had then racked that bowl all over the place eating the Kellogg's. Uh, cornflakes and then he would get dressed and then he would go out and you he just had the routines of life what he did on the lord's day i knew what he would be on the lord's day sunday school worship sunday evening worship what they would do in the afternoon 
He had this regularity about him. And that's something I've noticed about people who are maturing in life. There is a regularity to their life. Well, Paul is no different. Whenever Paul picks up his pen, unless a church has sent some questions to him, First and Second Corinthians, or unless he's writing to some individuals, Titus, Philemon, First and Second Timothy, the rest of the time when he's writing to the churches, I can guarantee you the way he's going to write it. He is going to take three chapters. To, he's going to take the first half of the epistle when he writes to tell you who you are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? He, I, he is going to communicate to you the secured, listen to my language please, the secured gospel blessings in Christ for you. Who you are. This, and we got a lot of stuff about identity. Here's for the Christian. My identity, I'm Christ. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And all that I am and all that I have and all that I will be is that been secured by him, rooted in the saving work that he did on the cross and affirmed in the resurrection on the third day. That is who my Savior is. That is my identification. Then, after he gives you who you are in Christ, then he talks about what believers do for Christ. Please listen. For Christ. For your Lord. For your Savior. Not for salvation. He did that. That's what he spent all the first half telling you what Jesus did for your salvation. Now, here's what you do for your Savior. And, and here's something else he'll do. After he finishes giving you the uh, the opening half of, of the gospel blessings for the elect of God in Christ, after he gives you that, he'll end it with a doxology. We just had it. Now you've heard it twice in the blessing for the covenant child. And now here, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think to him be the power in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forevermore amen there is a glorious doxological benediction because of what Christ has done amen but he's not through yet now we're ready to live now we're ready to live for Christ now that you know who you are, as a guy that I, uh, I didn't have the privilege to study under him, but I, some people discipled me or um, uh, in a, uh, mentored me in life who did study under him. And he was, in, he had a wonderful campus ministry and uh, he had this thing that he called no be do. Now the first time I heard no be do, I thought it was some Star Wars character, but that's not it. No be do is no be do. No who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ because of Christ. That, now when you know that, now you're ready to be who you ought to be for Christ. Which means you can now do. See, most of us do to be and know. He says, no, you couldn't do it. Jesus came in your place to do it for you. He did it and he wiped away the penalties for what you've been doing. He paid for your sins. He then gives you his righteousness and now he gives you the Holy Spirit so you can be what you know you are in Christ and do what you do for Christ. That's so important to get that. That's why he rep repeats it constantly. Then what is the first thing that he wants to you to know about what you do for Christ? It's not be happy. 
It's be holy. That's what he does. In Romans 11 chapters. Praise God. Everything's come to him, for him, through him. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God. Notice, not for mercies. By mercies. I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Now, look what he does in Ephesians. Three chapters, who you are in Christ. He even repeats 28 times in some form or fashion the phrase, in Christ, in the beloved, accepted in the beloved. And then what does he say in chapter 4, verse 1, after giving the benediction? <coughs> he says this, Therefore, I, <coughs> I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, again, not walk in a manner worthy to be called. You can't do it. The worthiness of Christ is your only hope. So you walk in a man, now that you have the power of God and the salvation of God, now you can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So here he tells us, here's what I want you to be. I want you to be holy. The Pauline gospel imperative is the first thing he gives to us. Be ye holy. Not to be saved, but because you're saved. Here's what he's, here's what he's done. After establishing the gospel blessings for the people of God secured by Christ, his next step is to call Every single one of us, not to happiness, that's already been secured. We're not looking for the world's definition of happiness. We are blessed. We are a blessed people. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us. Therefore, I don't need to go seek the happiness of circumstance. I'm blessed to bless his name and bless others through him. And for him, the call is to be long to Christ in life, that you are now his and he is yours. The call is not to holiness and not to happiness. He secured that. The call is to holiness. Now do what you are because of who you are in Christ. That's the call to the Christian life. And you can see those wonderful works of the Spirit of God that are listed that we studied last week with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain. We don't create the unity in the body of Christ, but we are given the power to maintain and mature it 
in the body of Christ. Well, that brings me to the second thing that we looked at last week, and that is unity with diversity. We have a God-given unity. Our unity is not in us. Our unity is not from us. Our unity is not because of us. Our unity is not a program. Our unity is not a building. Thank God we got a place to meet and uh, together. But our unity is in Christ. We are unified in the Trinity. The Father has authored us. The Son has, uh, I'm sorry, the Father has authored our creation and our redemption. The Son has accomplished it and the Holy Spirit has and is applying it in our life. We have a God-given unity. Go to, look at what he says in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's referring not to water baptism, but baptism of by Christ with the Holy Spirit. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and to all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've got unity and we've got diversity. Now, this is really important. You're not, you are not saved in a group plan. Now, follow me. You can, the gate is narrow into the kingdom of God. Only one fits through at a time. It, there's not a group plan for this. You have to make a personal commitment to Christ. You have to be born again. You have to have that personal relation. I know whom I have believed. But you're not saved to live alone. You're not saved to live in the arrogance of isolation. Or the fears of withdrawal. We are saved individually, but we are saved to live interdependently. My hand can't say to my... That's why he's using this picture of the body. You know, can I just give you all something I've been thinking about this last week? Paul, Paul uses, Paul's word pictures for the church are the same word pictures that's used in the Old Testament and New Testament. All of them except one. Body of Christ. Body of Christ. As he writes these things, do you know who I think probably proofread them? The doctor, Luke, Paul, I know you did well in your history and law classes, but I'm not sure about biology. The physician, Luke, I can almost imagine him going through it. So Paul doesn't get carried away in his biological declarations, but he does make a clear point. You got one body. There is one body of Christ. There are local churches manifesting it, but there is one body of Christ that is serving him. Jesus in his ascended body is working through the body of Christ now until he comes again for us. And that body is made up of every believer and every believer has a spiritual gift and every believer is to, is a member of that body and no part of the body can say, I can function on my own in arrogance and pride and no part of the body can withdraw out of jealousy and envy of someone else's gifts and ministry because every ministry every gift is important every gift is important so we have unity and we have a god-given unity and we've got god 
enabled diversity. As God has put a constellation of spiritual gifts into your life that are constantly developing. That's why we're taking a look this year. How to discover it. How to develop it. How to deploy it. But what you don't do is you don't design it. And you didn't deliver it to yourself. It's God designed and God delivered. Now you can discover and develop and deploy them in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got this God-given unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. And then we've got this God-enabled diversity where each one of us is uniquely gifted to serve in the body of Christ. We say no to pride and no to arrogance whereby we try to operate in our life apart from Christ's church. We say yes to interdependency. And then we say no to jealousy and envy of what the Lord is giving other people to do in life. Harry, what do we need? Here's two good words for you. To operate with your spiritual gifts, we need contentment in the Lord. We need contentment in the Lord, and we need commitment in the body of Christ. We need to be engaged, and we need to be content with what God has given to us. Now, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily uh, status quo, I mean, we want to keep developing our gifts, stir up the gift that's within you so that you're more effective with it. But it's not, well, God, you didn't make me a nose, so I'm not going to show up. I just don't want to be an ear. I don't want to be an ear. And remember, the internal parts of the body are more important than the external. Those things that get a lot of attention usually aren't as important as the ones that nobody gets the opportunity to see, even as it's true in your in your body. I can almost imagine Luke and Paul having a discussion about that. And uh, I just, um, I, I, I can't help but believe they had some discussions when Paul, when Luke would read these metaphor, this metaphor that he's using. Well, let me get to a third thing. That is the benevolent redeemer. We have a benevolent redeemer that we need to praise Jesus, the risen, ascended king. Look at what it says. Now, by the way, would you do something for me before I do this? Would you take your Bible? Please keep it open here. But look back to Psalm. Look back to the psalm. In fact, let me do it this way. Can you go get our confession and put it back up here for me? I should have said this to you earlier. Can you go find our confession and put it up here? I would appreciate that. Just let everybody see it right up here on the, uh, on the, here is our confession. This, look here, look at, look at Ephesians 4. When he ascended on high, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, stop right there. So he is saying, here is Jesus who descended to become a man, even to the point of death, an atoning death on the cross, and then to the grave. Satan thought he had won the victory. Actually, this was the declaration that on the third day would be the declaration that Christ had won the victory. And that this Jesus who has come has descended and humbled himself all the way to an atoning death, to a burial. And now his soul and body would be reunited on that third day. He would be raised on the third day. He would ascend back into heaven. And as he ascends back into heaven, he is leading. Now look at that language. He 
is leading captive a host of captives, and then he is doing what? He's giving gifts to men. Now, let me say two things. One is, listen, if you lived in the first century, you you may not have ever witnessed this, but you would know about this. This is what you did with kings. When kings would leave the throne, put on their war, their battle and their armor, go down into the valley. Remember, Saul wouldn't take on Goliath, but that's what he was supposed to do. The king would come down to go into the valley for the battle, ready to do battle. And when the king won, he would return and tied to his chariots would be the prisoners that he had taken, the captives. And he would ascend back up the hill to where his throne was. And there the people would be. The greatest picture of this from history that we've got recorded is the Emperor Pompey. As Pompey came back, they even, he was so powerful and so victorious, they even had a slave to stand in the chariot with him to remind him, Echo Homo, you're just a man. You're just a man to remind him. But we have the Christ who became a man without giving up his deity. Now he ascends, fully God, fully man, victorious, having defeated his enemies, sin, Satan, death, hell, the grave. And he's leading captive a host of captives. No, wait, are they captive or not? They were captive. He emancipated them. And now they've been captured to him and for him. Who is that? It's you. We were his enemies. When he defeated all his enemies that he will destroy, you he saved. And you are his. You've been captured by his grace. And he is yours. And when he ascended, you have already ascended with him. You are in Christ. And when he ascends, you have ascended with him. You've been bought with his blood. You belong to him. And all whom he has captured by his grace, he says, I lose not one. But let me tell you something else that king would do. He would have all the booty of his campaign. Some of it piled in the chariots. And as he rode through the streets, he would take the booty and he would throw it from the chariot out to the people. And it would be given gifts to his people whom he has secured. Jesus ascended and now he gives gifts. But there's a problem. There is a problem here. Have you seen it yet? This Go go to that Ephesians text again. Go back with me one more time. <clears throat> Notice what it says. This is a quote from the Psalms. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Did you read that? Hello, y'all with me? We just got just get a few more minutes. Hang with me here. You got that? What did he do when he ascended? Gave gifts to men. Now read the text he's quoting from Psalm again. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving. Wait, wait. Did Paul make a mistake? Paul wrote 
he's what? Giving gifts to men. The psalmist wrote what? He's receiving gifts. Well, which is it? Is he receiving or is he giving? Well, is the Bible inerrant? Can the Bible contradict itself? Well, what is the answer? Come back tonight and I'll tell you. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I I really would like to do that, but I'm not. This is Old Testament, New Testament. What is the Old Testament? Pointing to Christ. What is the New Testament? Pointing back to what Christ has done and is doing. Here is the prophetic. Here is the fulfillment. So in the Old Testament, there's coming a king. And when he has won the victory, he will receive the fruits of his victory. Which is what? His people. His people. And his authority as Messiah. As king. Well, Harry, hasn't Jesus always been king? Yes. But not as a man. He's always been king over everything. But now he is the Messiah king. Now he has descended. Now he has humbled himself. Now he has taken upon himself humanity. Now he takes our place. Now he redeems us. Now he ascends. And the Father gives him his people and his kingdom. He receives that from the Father as the perfect God-man, Messiah, and Redeemer. Now he rules, not simply or profoundly as the Son of God, but now even more profoundly, Son of God, Son of Man, Messiah, having not just creation dominion over everything, but now redemption dominion. He has captured his people for the kingdom of light and redemption and grace. And he's been enthroned so now that he has received the kingdom from the father what does he do now he's ready to give that's why when he sees his people he says in Matthew 28 all authority has been given to me I've received it now you go You go, I'm going to give you authority and power. The Holy Spirit's going to be given to you. The gospel's going to be given to you. The word of God's going to be given to you. The mission's being given to you. The message is being given to you. The ministries are being given to you. And the gifts to empower you and direct you are going to be given to you. Your gift came from Christ who received authority to give it to you because of what he did on the cross. How can we not steward that gift and use it that was purchased for us, given to Jesus, to give to us because of what he did on the cross? How can we not steward that gift? So we have this glorious, benevolent king who has secured our redemption 
And he now gives gifts to men. But he not only gives gifts. And then he starts to number them. Let's go right there. i got to go there quickly. Go to the. This is life changing for me. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. I, I think the NAS has got a better translation there. The pastors and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now stop there. So now he says, I'm giving, no, here's your, here, you go back to our outline here. Now, number four, the body's foundational and functional leadership, gifts, and individuals. And he gave some as apostles. What does he giving? Now listen, folks. He not only gives gifts, he gives people. He gives people. He gave us real people to be apostles. He gives us real people to be prophets. He gives us real people. He gave Paul and Peter and and, uh, James, and he gave them the apostles. And in the Old Testament, we see he's given the prophets. And then he's given the evangelists. Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He's given the evangelists. And then he gives the pastors and teachers. Now, here's the question. How many gifts are there there? there? Don't answer. Are there five or four? Don't answer. If you say five, if you say five, and let me say, I think there's four. And I think there's four because of the construction in the Greek. And it shows up in the translation, your English. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors. But then he doesn't say again, and some as teachers. But some as pastors and teachers. In other words, they are shepherds and teachers or preachers. It's a dual responsibility they have to shepherd and feed the flock. It is the ministry of shepherding and the ministry of the word that takes place with the pastor teacher to do what to equip the saints folks can i just say this again i know many of us in our understanding of discipleship were raised with the one-on-one and yes one-on-one discipleship is important life on life but the bible is clear that one to a small group is discipleship but we don't appreciate and i'm not arguing for myself i'm trying to uh, trying to unfold the scriptures for you here is that not only is it important to be, have one-on-one and not only is it important to have one in a small group and not only is it one to have like in another group but it's also important in the gathered assembly on the lord's day the pastor teacher pulls the trigger on discipleship by doing what equipping the saints that's discipleship and then it cascades into the community the congregational community cascades into a small group and cascades whenever necessary for one-on-one a season and a reason out of perhaps that small group one-on-one so that's what he is saying that he has given pastors and teachers now by the way is that listing chronological Hello, is that listing chronological? The answer is no. Say no. No. What came first, prophets or apostles? Prophets, chronologically. But in the listing, what's coming first? Apostles. Then what? Prophets. Then what? Evangelists. Then what? Pastor teachers. That, that's a functional listing, not a chronological listing. 
Let me put it this way. Can an apostle be a prophet? Yes. Can an apostle be an evangelist? Can an apostle be a pastor teacher? Can a prophet be an evangelist? Anybody heard of Jonah? Can a prophet be an evangelist? Can a prophet be a pastor teacher? Can a prophet be an apostle? No. He wasn't with Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection. Apostles and prophets give us the foundation of God's word revealed while they do evangelism and equipping, pastor teacher work of equipping. But they then lay the foundation. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Ephesians chapter 2. Then what do the evangelists do? Spread the word. Spread the word. What do the pastor teachers do? They equip. The evangelist pioneer, the pastor teachers are homesteaders. How can you tell the difference between a pioneer and a homesteader? Well, the pioneer's got arrows in his back and the homesteader's got arrows in his chest. But that's the, way that, that's, that's the way it unfolds. And so he gives these. This is not all of the gifts. These are the leadership, word leadership gifts that are foundational, apostles and prophets, and then functional evangelists and pastors and teachers. And that's how he lists them out for us. Then number five, number five, and, uh, let me give you this one. Um, and then how does the body with this foundation of, of the uh, leadership gifts around the word of God... How does this body uh, function? Well, here's what he says. So that they are equipped for the ministry of the um, uh, so to, pastors and teachers uh, to equip to equip the people of God, the building up of the body of Christ, building up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature maturity, manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, becoming more Christ-like, so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every, by, uh, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every, by stewarding their gift with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. So here is the body truthing and loving as they're being equipped with the word of God. So we got the word of God. Thank you, apostles and prophets. Thank you, Jesus, for the, the men you gave, the ministries you gave, and the gifts you gave. And God, thank you for the evangelists who spread the word. Thank you for the pastor teachers who do the equipping so that we can grow up. You have a childlike faith, but we don't act childish. We have childlike faith. But we're not to act childish. There's maturity that takes place. No temper tantrums. No, it's, remember the kid, it's all about me. I'm, I'm, sometimes I walk into Walmart, very seldom. But when I get there, those men that are here that are retired, I usually meet about seven of you. You've got your, I know your, I know your loop, post office, bank, 
Home Depot, Walmart. I got it. I know it. But here's what who I see. I see some kid being held up, and I've watched them slap their parents, screaming at them. And all their parents had to do was just let them go. But they held them. And we see a temper tantrum. Folks, Christian temper tantrums dishonor Christ in a manner that is, um, it's just the, the ramifications of it are astonishing. Let's don't be childish. Let's grow up. Let's be built up. Let's get engaged in each other's life. And that's why the foundational gifts, apostles, prophets, that's why the evangelist, that's why the pastor, teacher, all of those things are just so crucial. And then we speak truth in love. As Ryle said, Bishop Ryle, truth without love is barbarity. Love without truth is cruelty. It's not, we don't sacrifice love in the name of truth, and we don't sacrifice truth in the name of love. Only the Spirit of God can give us that kind of lifestyle, and only the process of discipleship can mature it in our life, so that we are stewards of these glorious gifts that have been given to us in and through the Lord. But notice the things. We are no longer tossed here and there. There's stability. There's maturity. There's faithfulness. And there's effectiveness for Christ. I was reading a book, I've been doing some studying for our Sunday night series after I leave the theology of singleness. I got one more tonight for that. And then we moved to the theology of marriage and Christian manhood and Christian womanhood. And I was reading some stuff in it, and this guy gave the example uh, in parenting of the challenges. And he said there was this family that was pretty poor, never had a vacation. So they're kidding, and they told their children they're going to have a vacation. But while they were getting packed, one of the children went out in the back in this ditch and just played in that ditch and the creek and all of that stagnant water and splashing around. They said, come on, we're going to the ocean. We're going to have fun. And the kid just screamed, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And just screaming as they sat in that filthy ditch. And the parents are trying to get them to the ocean. To enjoy it. They just had no idea. They couldn't comprehend it. Our Lord has so much for us. To grow in grace. To be effective. Maturity. Stability. But so many times. We're playing in a ditch. Instead of receiving God's given word. Through evangelists and teaching. And pastors and preaching. And discipleship. We got everything else is so much more important. And the Lord's ready to wash us, refresh us, renew us, encourage us, and empower us. So here's my takeaway. I want to give credit to two pastors, Alistair Begg. I've edited this, so I hope Alistair's not upset with me. Uh, but he gave me the idea along with another pastor. And Harry, who was that? I cannot remember his name to save my life. But I've just given credit to him, whoever he is. Uh, but I, this is what I would give you. So what do we do to be good stewards of our spiritual gifts? Show up. Show up. Now listen. Listen to me carefully. 
I am so grateful through technology for those who are shut in, those who are vulnerable, and those who are providentially hindered. We can get to you the worship service to watch and down and draw down from. But it's not worship. Worship is full contact. Speaking to one another. Uh, greeting one another. Confessing to one another. Singing to one another. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Show up. Folks, listen, I, am, I hope and pray you'll just give me the, benefit, the judgment of charity here. I want to disciple you. My number one way to disciple you is expositional preaching and then praying for you. But I can't do it if you're not there. I can't do it. That very beginning point of discipleship is crucial. Pastor teachers are trying through preaching the word to equip you. But if it's not important to you, then it can't get done. Listen, if you're visiting with us and you're from another church, then that's fine. Then hear it for that. I'm just exhorting you. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Show up. Secondly, eat up. Just devour God's word while you hear it. We read it. You sing it. We confess it. You hear it preached. Devour. Eat up. Number three, grow up. Let's grow up. And act like men of God and women of God in the body of Christ, speaking truth and love to one another. Number four, a stand up. Don't you love it last week when we sung that? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And then number five, speak up. Did you know this is exactly what I go through with every high school senior? I meet with them in the spring of their senior year, and this is basically what I share with them from Psalm one. It's just it's just very simple. When you get to, when you get there, I'm gonna give you three months to find the church, and then I'm gonna track you down. And then show up. Show up, and while you're there, eat up. And brothers and sisters, we need to grow up. Then we need to stand up in a world that's telling you to sit down. And you don't just stand up, you speak up. Jesus is Lord. And let's all show up in our gifts. Let's eat up through the ministry of our spiritual gifts. Let's grow up through the Word and the Spirit to maturity and stability. Childlike faith, but not childish lifestyles. Let's stand up, and then let's speak up. The world needs to hear his voice. Let the earth hear his voice. He speaks through you. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Thank you for your blessings and your encouragement in our lives. And thank you, Father, that we could assemble today to give you praise and honor and glory. God, would you just take these moments and take all the inadequacies of the one who just preached, but the majesty of your word and speak to the hearts of your people.
Just take a few moments with the Lord. You might even be praying, God, change my life so that I show up. Give me a hunger for the word that I would eat it up. Let it do its work in me that I would grow up. To stand up and speak up for Christ. Oh Lord, the night is coming when the work of the day is done. Help us to be faithful as the body of Christ together, gifted and committed. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.